The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. up everybody welcome back to another episode of the bootleg football podcast uh kind of a short and sweet one for you today we we have a kind of a whole bunch of topics that we're recording and putting them out little by little since uh the eve of the regular football season is almost upon us we got about one week to go i think by the time this thing gets out uh, at least we'll have only a few days left to go until kickoff for week one so today we're going to be talking about not necessarily our picks, but our favorites to potentially win the Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year awards because this is such a, even though it's not a very big draft class, it's still a very talented draft class. And there's a few guys in this class uh, that I think could just be absolutely phenomenal, like star NFL players immediately uh, from the moment they they really step on the field. So we're going to be talking about Rookies of the Year today. Uh, but before we get into that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? And what are you drinking? I'm good. Having returned home, I, uh, as many folks know, came down to visit you last week, which was thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, I got my Southern California, just like I like it, in small doses. Um, <laughs> Ow. <laughs> no, I, I, Southern California is excellent to visit for me. I enjoy it. It's cool. And I like coming home too. So that uh, it works out both ways. But what am I drinking? I am starting off with a bootleg shot, um, which is uh, a wonderful Blanco tequila that I found a couple of weeks ago uh, called Terramana. And it is their small batch. It is their Blanco. And as we were just looking at the label before the show, I realized the signature on the back of the bottle is Dwayne Johnson. So apparently this is the people's tequila, or if you drink too much of it, it's the people's elbow on your forehead the next morning. Uh, but no, it's a lovely tequila. I didn't know the rock had anything to do with it. Um, it has a well, little bit. One, um, once Clooney made a billion dollars, every other star in Hollywood was like, yeah, I should probably found a, found an alcohol brand. Sure. Why not? Anyways, I found it at a small Mexican restaurant in Southern Washington uh, and it's lovely. It's got a little punch of citrus. I tend to like it iced for all of you out there going, oh, you guys are always hammered. Like, this is how much tequila I'm drinking. It's a very skinny little glass with uh, uh, an ice cube that's dissolved in it. But it's delicious. What do you have? Uh, so something that I just picked up while you were down here. 
this is the Woodenville Rye, which has a uh, tremendous color. Actually, let me hold up the bottle. People that are only listening to the audio are not going to get to see this gorgeous bottle. Yeah. Uh, but Woodenville makes phenomenal stuff. They're actually up by you. Yeah, they're uh, about 15 miles to the north of me. Yeah, they get all their grain from Quincy, Washington. And even though this is only a 90 proof, it is one of the spiciest ryes that I've ever had, which I happen to like. Some people kind of get turned off by by rye spice. But since I cut my teeth uh, drinking the smokiest eyeless scotches that I could find in my youth, uh, spicy rye does nothing to me. That's all I can taste. So uh, I, I love Woodenville rye. I don't know what their distribution's like, but if you find a bottle near, you pick it up because they make phenomenal stuff. But uh, Fun fact with, about Quincy. Huh. Uh, it's really close to where the Seahawks used to have training camp in eastern Washington before they took their uh, took their show in-house like most teams have now, and they practice at the, at the VMAC, the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, right up in Renton. But before that, when they were still going on the road for training camp, they would truck over to eastern Washington every, su- every summer and have training camp real close to Quincy. I feel like that would, I feel like the weather's worse over there. It's hotter. The players hated it, uh, but it was a great way to connect with the eastern half of the state and all the fans over there. It's not actually that far from um, Wazoo, from Washington State. Uh, so uh, pulled some fans from there as well. But uh, no, I don't think the players miss uh, Eastern Washington training yeah, camp at all. Probably like, not. Not probably even a not. bit. <laughs> uh, we do have a, a, a couple little things in news to get in here before we talk about the uh, offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Number one, they probably affect our picks, or at least one of them definitely affects our picks, and that is uh, Travis Etienne, unfortunately being done for the year. Just came out uh, a few hours ago before we recorded this. Uh, seems like a, a, well, at first it was reported, oh, he's in a boot after the game. You know, sometimes nothing major. We'll see what happens. Then it's like, oh, it's a foot sprain, but we don't know what grade. It could be three days. It could be a month. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, it's Liz Frank. He might be back by the end of the year. And then, no, he's on injured reserve and he's not back till 2022. So it kind of went from uh, bad to worse progressively throughout the day. And it just sucks for the Jaguars that they, what, two games into their preseason and he's done for the year on just kind of a fluky, freaky injury. He was going to be a big factor in their offense, at least on paper. And uh, now we are right back to uh, a, a one man show there with James Robinson and then potentially. My theory is LaVisca Chenault getting some of the carries that would have gone to Travis Etienne, uh, whether it's in their crack toss game, on their sweep game, all that kind of stuff, because he can do that too. You know, they, they drafted Travis, remember, specifically to play that H-back role, which he suited, and now they don't have an H-back all of a sudden. So they're going to have to go dumpster diving or just look in-house and, and, and see who else on their roster can do that. And I've, I kind of feel like Travis Etienne might be that guy. Or, sorry, I should say uh, LaVisca Chenault should be that guy. Excuse me. Yeah, it's a this is a bummer. The only worst timing for this kind of injury is, like, in a bowl game, right? Right before somebody gets drafted. So it's le- at least after Travis Etienne has his chance to get drafted. He gets drafted uh, in the first round, which is a rarity for a running back these days. So he secures his draft status. He gets his money, which is great. But immediately gets shut down. And that's it's it's just kind of heartbreaking because such an electric player, a player that last year was thinking about coming out, decided to go back, 
gets another shot at a national championship, plays really well, gets drafted really highly. That that happens rarely enough, right? A lot of times when people are sort of teetering on that top draft status and they go back, they don't live up to expectations or they get injured or the you know the team just doesn't perform as well and they actually lose spots in the draft overall. He kept his status, which was amazing. He gets drafted very highly. Uh, say what you will about drafting running backs in the first round, but everybody was looking forward to seeing him play. Like the on-field product, everybody was excited about because he's an exciting player. He's a guy that has some lightning in his feet, can take it the distance, and now we won't get to see that for uh, basically an entire year. And the other thing that sort of just sticks in the back of my mind is players who either uh, are injured right before, like in a bowl game or at the end of their senior season or injured very, very early in their freshman year, rookie year in the NFL, don't tend to do that great, right? They tend to do yeah. less well than their colleagues who go through a more normal progression in the NFL. So it, it it's not saying that he won't, you know, ascend to great heights post energy, uh, post injury. It just means that he kind of has the odds stacked against him a little bit further now. And we don't get to see him perform this year, which is a bummer. So all, all the best wishes to Travis. Hopefully he has a great surgery. His recovery is speedy. He gets to spend time with the team and, and comes back just as strong next year. I think that's what football fans want to see in general. It's, it's just a bummer all the way around. It's not as bad as if he got injured in a bowl game, but it's, the next worst thing yeah i mean at minimum at least he got drafted in the first round so regardless of what happens from here on out he got his bag so yep. golf clap for that i just i hope he comes back strong and uh, i hope he gets an even bigger contract in a few years because i i love when dudes like like travis at the end succeed he seems like a genuinely great human being um and then the other injury we should probably touch on it's more of a mystery uh I'm kind of getting the vibe that the Dak Prescott thing is a little worse than what was let on a few weeks ago. It, again, it's another one of these things where it started out as something minor. Oh, he's just resting in camp. He'll be back soon. And then he wasn't back soon. And then it's, we're consulting with the Rangers and the Yankees. And this is an injury that their training staff has never seen before. It's a baseball injury. And Oh, he'll be back by week one. He's throwing, but not past 10 yards but he'll be back week one. He just might not be all the way back throughout the entire regular season. And now it's like, okay, so you're going into the year and he didn't get any off-season work, or at least not a whole lot of off-season work because he's coming off the ankle and then he got hurt really early on in camp. I don't know, man. I got bad vibes about this. What about you? Yeah, and no Andy Dalton this year. Not that Andy yeah. Dalton is a great savior, but he's uh, you know, more experienced than Cooper Rush. I happen to like Cooper Rush, but saying that you're gonna get the same production out of that offense with Andy Dalton running it as you are with Cooper Rush is probably an overstatement. Um, I'm as big a Cooper Rush fan as you'll find. Uh, I still don't think that. So it's a major hit to the performance chances for the Dallas Cowboys. If we all know that that team is better off when Dak is on the field and healthy. If Dak is not on the field or if he's on the field at sort of half strength, like you said, that's a tremendous limitation for that offense. And that offense, the defense got better, but the offense is really the strength of that team. And it's not completely as goes Dak, so go the Cowboys, but it's close, right? That's a 
that's not an unfair statement. And if he's not going to be there or he's not going to be there in force, it really changes their outlook for the year. If they're going to have to shut him down at six or eight weeks and say, look, it's just not getting any better and we don't want to do any more damage, you're literally looking at a at a trade, which is not an ideal scenario to bring somebody in because, again, they didn't get all the offseason work. They're trying to get up to speed from zero. Or you're saying Cooper Rush is our guy, which I don't think or, anybody... Or Garrett in, Gilbert or Ben DiNucci. I mean, whoever, you know. Yeah, and that's not the same thing. Any of those options are just not the same thing, including the trade option, right? Say they go out and get somebody who's available. They're going to pay a draft pick for that. And they're not, they're going to be able to run like a third of their offense typically right off the bat. Um, maybe they warm up throughout the season, but that itself is a handicap. So no, I don't have great vibes about this either. Uh, I hope Dak heals up. I really like seeing healthy Dak Prescott play. He's a, he's a fantastic player uh, in his own right. And especially in that offense. And again, that's what we as NFL fans want to see is everything operating at the top level. Now, of course, it doesn't happen that way. Guys get injured. Things don't work out like they do on the field, like they thought they would on paper. That's what happens all the time, but it's a bummer. Um, and if I'm a Cowboys fan, yeah, I'm getting real itchy right now about this. Oh, and by the way, their first game is on the road against Tampa Bay and, well, and that defense. Ouch. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to score 30 just to even have a chance anyway. Yeah, um, and you're going to take some hits. That defensive line is yeah. going to get to you. So if yeah. you're nursing a wing and they know that, uh, look, I'm not saying guys are trying to hurt you. Um, I'm also saying that Adama Kansu plays for Tampa Bay. Spoken like a Bears fan. <laughs> uh, man, why don't we get into our uh, rookie of the year discussion here because uh we'll start off with offense we got several guys we got to talk about again these are not necessarily like set in stone picks like i think this guy's gonna win it more so just um a selection of names we each took three and some of them were, were duplicates just because we felt really strongly about it but we each chose three guys where it's like hey if we got to bet on somebody to win it these are the three that we feel the best about um my first was Devonta Smith from the Eagles. And I, I I almost feel a little bit vindicated so far because I, I was pounding the table and saying all draft season, I don't care that he's 170. I don't care that you think he's too light to beat press coverage. There's nobody that can touch him at the line of scrimmage anyway. So his weight doesn't matter. You know, there's a lot of guys that beat press by just being big and strong and physical and running through it. You look at DK Metcalf, you look at Julio Jones. He beats press by not allowing you to touch him. And whether he's 170 or not, like you look at him against the Patriots DBs, they weren't touching him. They tried, but they weren't doing it. And I just think he's such a good route runner. He's so, so hard to, to just even get into his hip pocket off the line of scrimmage. Great hands. Um, I think with Jalen Hurts being his quarterback, because uh, Jalen didn't play last game, he had like a stomach virus type thing. With Jalen Hurts being his quarterback and, you know, obviously Rager being in the slot and tight ends being there, like I I, I think everything around Devonta Smith, like it's not just going to be the Devonta Smith show, which to me means that he's going to get all the opportunity in the world 
one-on-one to absolutely toast corners every single week. And Jalen's a good enough quarterback that I think to get him the ball a lot. Like, I I think if there's any receiver in the entire rookie field that can win rookie of the year this year, I think it's Devonta Smith. Yeah, I'd love to agree with you. (laughs) I I agree with everything you said about Devonta Smith pre-draft, and we were banging the table on the exact same note saying, it doesn't matter how big he is. Look at his performance at every level. He's in the SEC. Nobody's touching him there. These are all the cornerbacks you're going to draft first. He roasted all them as well. Like, neither one of us had doubts about that. He ends up in Philadelphia. Brand new coaching staff. Jalen Hurts is a second-year quarterback. Jalen's a guy that we saw at the Senior Bowl. We both believe in Jalen. But they're going to have some, I don't want to say growing pains, they're going to have some gelling time in Philadelphia. And I would say that Devonta Smith would win Rookie of the Year if he got a pass every time he was open. Which is every play. Which is every play, <laughs> right? He's always open. He's he's like 7-11. That guy is always open, and he will always be open. Do I believe in the Eagles, the rest of the Eagles' ability, the coaching staff, Jalen Hurts, the line, the whole bit, in their ability to make good on all those times he's open? And I don't, right? I don't think it's Devonta's fault, but I don't think that he's going to be able to maximize those opportunities this season, maybe next season, maybe the season after. It's not a knock on Devonta Smith. It's where he landed. We always talk about the landing spot being really important. Now, there's a lot of places he could have landed where I'd be like, you know, say he was, oh, I don't know, Kansas City's number two right now. Devonta Smith would be my like choice for rookie of the year flat out. And I don't think I would have picked two others because he he's going to be open. And Pat would hit him. I would have high confidence in that organization's ability with their rebuilt offensive line to get Devonta the ball as many times as they could when he was open. The Eagles, I have lower confidence because of their setup. They're still learning. The coach and staff's learning. Jalen Hurts is learning. Um, You know, is he going to have a good season? I think he is. Is he going to be open all the freaking time? Yeah, he is. Is he going to make all the catches, yards, and touchdowns that he would in another organization? Uh, not this season, probably. So I think that might limit his chances a little bit. I mean, that's fair. I, it was tough for me to separate draft grade from, <laughs> from landing you know, grade si- yeah. from situation. Cause yeah, you know, we've seen what he can do in uh in a perfect situation at Bama. And despite all the other first round receivers that were there, Judy rugs, Waddle outproduced all of them. Every single one. And that was even with quarterbacks that I felt arguably were. <laughs> you want to, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get in trouble if I say it. <laughs> yep. You will. Like, I'll get in trouble was, if I say it. I was going to, let's give you just say trouble. he was in a better situation than most receivers are in college and had insane competition for the ball and still outproduced everybody. No, it's just, it's hard for me to separate that grade. Yeah, no, he's a great player. And like I said, if he'd landed in some other spots, I would be higher on his rookie of the year chances. I'm high on the player. Like this has nothing to do with me being down on Devonta Smith. I am not down on Devonta Smith. He is exceptional. He's going to have a great pro career. I really believe that. Um, Does he win rookie of the year? I probably don't think so. Could he? Absolutely. Absolutely could. Is he gonna? Uh, 
I, I wouldn't lay folding money on it. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Underdog Fantasy, who we've been working with this entire summer long. If you're not familiar with Underdog, they specialize in best ball fantasy football, which really prioritizes more offseason preparation and good drafting than anything else. And best ball is meant so that you don't really get screwed over by traditional quirks in fantasy football. Let's say you take an injury in the first quarter, or you just guess incorrectly about which Browns receiver to play in any given week. What really matters is just the fact that you have them on your roster and your ideal lineup will be calculated for you on the underdog platform. So really you just get credit for being a really good drafter and doing your due diligence in the offseason so that you get all of these guys on your roster. And then on any given game day, you just get to enjoy watching the game and not stress out about kind of getting screwed over by random things that happen in fantasy football. It's a little bit more of a stress-free way to enjoy fantasy, and you can also make a lot of money doing it. In fact, Underdog is throwing a $3.5 million best ball tournament with a million dollars to first prize. That is Best Ball Mania, and it's still going on right now. And if you use promo code BRETT down in the link in the description below for Underdog Fantasy, you will get $25 free to use on the platform, which just so happens to be the entry fee for that Best Ball Mania tournament. So if you want a free entry, you can sign up, make any deposit, again, with promo code BRETT at that link in the description below, and you can use that to get a potentially free chance at a million dollars. Thank you again to Underdog for sponsoring this week's show, and with that, let's get back to it. So uh, my first was Zach Wilson, and if you'd asked me this again pre-draft, uh, I would have said no. And rookie quarterbacks, uh, no matter how good they are, they struggle. We saw Justin Herbert last year set all kinds of rookie records and his team still struggled but he put up tremendous numbers and I feel like Zach Wilson my confidence in how quickly Zach Wilson is going to adapt to the NFL the speed of the NFL uh, his teammates the situation in New York which is its own beast uh, New York is its own sort of <laughs> omnivorous media entity and, and some people can handle that and some people can't through the first couple of preseason games and i realize it's preseason games zach wilson has looked what i would say is exceedingly comfortable we have seen all the same things we saw on college tape we've seen quick feet we've seen very good reads for the most part his ability to put the ball anywhere on the field with a flick um he has looked pretty darn comfortable and he's shown all the skills. He hasn't looked hesitant. He's been unwilling to leash deep throws. Um, does he have a tremendous supporting cast? It's better certainly than the, the supporting cast last year for the Jets on offense. I think <laughs> he has enough weapons. Um, and I think he's going to put up numbers. Are the Jets going to win? Or are they going to win the division? I, you know, they're going to win more than they did last year. Are they going to win the division? I really don't think they are. Is Zach Wilson going to put up good enough numbers to compete for rookie of the year, I think he might. So, uh, and I, I think when you look at his connection with Corey Davis too, I think we're, that's, that's the thing that's really stuck out to me. It's like, yeah, I, Zach Wilson's great. You know, arm talent, mobility seems to be doing pretty well as decision maker as well. Not that the jet system is that different than what they ran at BYU. I feel like a lot of the concepts he just kind of already, like it wasn't a, super crazy translation. Like he wasn't learning a whole lot of new stuff, which I think helped his transition. Um, 
So his decision making has been pretty good. But the thing that's really stuck out to me is like when he and Corey Davis are on the field, like they are great together. Like I thought Elijah Moore would kind of step in and like by the back half of the year, be their wide receiver one, nothing against Corey Davis. I just love Elijah Moore. Uh, but all of a sudden, we're starting to see the college Corey Davis now that made him a top 10 pick where I'm like, damn, okay, where was that in Tennessee? Because he's open damn near every play. He's been, I don't think he's dropped a single ball. Like, I think when he was on the field uh, in, in the limited reps that he had with Wilson this past week, he had like six targets on seven routes run, on his first seven routes run, I should say. Like, they're, they're feeding him the ball, and he's... Uh, I think he and Wilson together going to be something scary this year. Not going to lie. Yeah. I think you underrate Corey Davis at this point at your own peril. I had limited expectations for that addition when we went through our AFC East uh, preview show. I, you know, I said, Hey, this is a, a solid addition. And I think it was, but I wasn't super high on it after watching the first couple of preseason games and their connection uh, when they're both on the field. Wilson's ability to get Davis ball and Davis's ability to get open and sort of engender that trust. There's something brewing there. You know, if you'd asked me before, I would have probably put Mims's chances. Again, this is, you know, middle of the summer, Denzel Mims's chances and Elijah Moore's chances of being sort of uh, more connected or, or more productive in that offense above Davis's. I would have put Davis third. Now, I'm not so sure that he's not option 1A, right? That he's not the alpha in that receiving core. Um, and I certainly wouldn't have bet on that. But I think Zach Wilson's outlook is pretty darn good. If he stays healthy, he's got a decent offensive line. He's got good enough offensive weapons. And he's going to be able to put up some numbers. And they're going to be behind, so he's going to be throwing, right? I don't have any illusions that the Jets are going to be blowing people out. Right, so they're just going to well, be running and grinding the clock. They might have blown some people out if Carl didn't just tear his Achilles. That was like <sighs> one of the top three worst things that I think could have happened to the Jets this year, injury-wise. Either him, Mackay Becton, or, or oh, Carl. I'd say Mackay Becton for Zach Wilson especially would have been for Zach uh, especially, yeah, would have been but, really tough. But no, it was it was terrible to see loss go down. We loved that move. We loved his mesh with the new coaching staff. We loved that he was going to be an alpha option in the rush. We both believe in his ability. We thought it was going to get maximized under Jeff Ulbridge. Like we were just all in on Lawson, on landing spot, on coaching, on ability. Like everything was coming together and he tore his Achilles and it's brutal. He's handled it like an absolute champ better than we have, quite honestly. Um, he apparently pulled all his teammates together and said, ain't no thing. I'll be back. Like, it's your job now. Like, yeah, I'll be here. You you got to do your thing. Like, it sort of doesn't matter. And I was uh, hearing that. I was like, okay. Like, there's nothing better you can say. It's a Everybody knows it's a shit sandwich. But instead of, you know dropping his head he picked up and said look carry on i'll be here i'll be back i don't worry about me i got it and go out and do your jobs it's up to you now so it's a bummer for the jets for sure and they will be at some level slightly less competitive do i think it's going to throw them in the tank i don't so wilson is an interesting one i was i don't want to say i was low on zach wilson the talent was pretty obvious but a lot of it was about fit and how quickly he could adapt and those questions have largely melted away for me over the last couple of weeks, seeing 
how quickly he's looked really, really comfortable. Well, my second guy, you know, I guess it's also your second guy. We overlapped on this one. Uh, Keeping it with the quarterback theme is Justin Fields. And before I get into Fields specifically, I do want to say when you look at Wilson and Fields and Lance and Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence, God rest his soul. He just got killed by the Saints on Monday. <laughs> not his fault, by the way. They were just, oh my God, that line, not, not helping him at all. Not good. Um, but when I look at all five of these first round rookie quarterbacks, they've all looked good. Like they've all looked like they belong. And uh, the reason why I went with Fields is that I think he's just, I, I think he's made it apparent how much better of an option he is than Andy Dalton. So I feel like he's going to start. Well, I don't know how many games it's going to take, but I do know that Andy Dalton's leash is extraordinarily short. I know you're saying three games. I'm still thinking two quarters. Like I, <laughs> I think halfway through the Rams, like, like Nagy committed to give him the start, going to give him the start. He's going to give him a chance, but I swear to God, 30 minutes into that game, when they're down by 17, he's going to yank the chain. That's that's going to be it. It's going to be the same thing that happened to Tom Savage. And I think uh, Justin Fields, when he gets in the game, like there is such a discernible difference in how the Chicago Bears look and feel with him on the field, no pun intended, uh, that I think he is a very strong candidate for Rookie of the Year. And I think if he starts 16 games, we got 17 now, if he starts from week two on, um, I do think that that he will put up just as strong of a case, if not stronger than Zach Wilson, because of everything he brings to the table. Accuracy, arm talent, mobility, great decision maker. Like he, he to me has looked to be the best out of these group of five rookie quarterbacks that have all looked good. Zach Wilson's looked great. Mac has looked great. Trace had some up and downs, but he's made some phenomenal plays. And then Lawrence, uh, when he's not getting pile driven into the ground has had some really special throws but Justin Fields on average I feel has um, just even exceeded my lofty expectations for him and so I I do feel like again it it depends on when he starts but I do think it's going to be within the first few weeks here I think he's got just as strong of a case as Zach Wilson yeah for me this is a second half bet right and rookie of the year is a second half award you can think about now this wasn't a rookie but all awards in general think about last season if six weeks or seven weeks into the season approaching the midpoint you'd said who is your offensive mvp russell wilson was absolutely on your list he was in contention he was top three the seahawks were killing it they were letting russ cook he was toasting guys russell wilson was absolutely in conversation you go six more weeks to week 12 and you ask the same question no more russ russ has faded from that conversation right like changes in the season so all awards are really kind of influenced more heavily by the second half they shouldn't necessarily be it's not fair but it's true so if we start off the season and Nagy keeps his pinky swear promise with dalton to start him And let's say they start him through the Rams game, which is week one, because they don't want to get Justin killed, which is not my favorite argument. I, Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football made the same argument. And he's like, there's no hiding people in the NFL. If you hide him from, you know, Aaron Donald, do you have to hide him from Miles Garrett? No, like he's going to take his lumps and figure it out. But 
I really think this is going to be about two games, maybe three. I said three earlier, uh, or I held up three fingers earlier. I really don't think it lasts to the fourth game. By the fourth game, I'm pretty sure what we've all seen has sort of taken over as the as the common wisdom, which is the Chicago Bears have a better chance to win with Justin Fields at quarterback. And now Nagy and the powers that be have to acknowledge that and put him on the field. Once he gets on the field, if he stays healthy, he's not leaving. He's a dual threat quarterback. He's going to make yards with his legs, lots of them, because he's very fast. We saw that in his preseason appearance. He's going to make lots of yards with his arm. He's willing to throw touchdowns. He's got a tremendous arm. His decision-making's been pretty good. His recognition's been pretty good. He got smacked by a blitz, which he didn't read correctly, probably. But he's going to learn from that. He didn't He didn't fuss. He got up. He put his helmet back on. He didn't point fingers at his own line. He just went, well, okay, don't think I'll do that again because that really hurt. And he's going to move <laughs> on. Once he starts playing... The other thing is he's been playing with all twos and threes in terms of wide receivers. He hasn't been throwing to A-Rob, to Mooney, to Komet. Like, those are not the guys he's been throwing to, and he's been making all those folks that are going to be on the practice squad or special teams look really good. There's a lot of people that are like, Rodney's going to make the team. The only reason anybody thinks Rodney's going to make the team is because Justin Fields has been feeding him the ball. So in the second half of the season, once this transition happens, whenever it is, Justin Fields is going to start putting up numbers. I don't think necessarily the Bears are going to start winning until their line stabilizes, their offensive line stabilizes. But Justin Fields is going to put up numbers no matter what, with his legs, with his arms. And if he's with the number one receivers, those numbers are going to be better than what we've seen so far, that those all those plays that impressed you are going to be guys that can go up and high point the ball. It's going to be Allen Robinson going, no, that's mine. Darnell Mooney going, nah, see ya. And Justin Fields having the arm to hit him. So in the second half of the year, I couldn't vote on him for the first half of the year, but when the awards get decided, I would be remiss, Bears fan or not, if I didn't have Justin Fields in that conversation, because he's going to be darn impressive down the stretch. Uh, I would say... uh my third guy, and this this was a tough one because there's there's a lot of dudes in this class that I could choose from. Uh, Etienne was one that I was considering before what happened today, unfortunately. Um, but I went with another running back instead, which is another guy that I was extraordinarily high on. Uh, higher than most, I would say. I had him Roughly about the same grade, a little bit ahead of Etienne, actually, which, again, caused a little bit of stir pre-draft. This is just how high I am on him. And he ended up going to, I think, the perfect situation. That is Trey Sermon with the 49ers. Uh, I've talked all summer about how much I love Trey Sermon's fit. When you look at what he did at Ohio State, it was literally what he's going to be doing with the 49ers. It is wide zone. It is mid zone. It is inside zone. Mix in some power here and there. But every flavor of zone you can think of, they ran it there. And he's already demonstrated a fantastic ability to read and execute in that kind of run scheme. Way better feet for a big back uh, than you think. He's, you know, pushing 220, 225. And he moves just differently than a lot of guys that size in terms of lateral agility, uh, excellent contact balance, you know, he's got soft hands in the past game. Uh, Pass protection is adequate, but... I mean, to be honest, most of the time, well, not most of the time, but a significant amount of time, they're going to be passing off play action and he's going to just be releasing to the flat anyway. So it's not like a killer there. 
you know, it's not the same as, um, you know, say in Tampa Bay where you have to have running backs that can actually pass protect. Uh, but I, I think just his fit with that system and his skill set, he is going to get the ball early and often. And we know Kyle Shanahan, he, he turns out rushing yardage, no matter who he's got in the backfield, let alone somebody as good as Trey Sermon. I think he has a legitimate shot. Now, I will say that if Trey Lance starts fairly early on in the season, he'll probably take a lot of the shine off Trey Sermon, even if Trey Sermon's doing really well, just because that's the nature of quarterback position. But let's just say that Lance doesn't start till week seven by some divine intervention on behalf of Jimmy (laughs) G. And Trey Sermon's putting up like 1,200 total yards rushing and receiving and like eight touchdowns, which I think is very possible in that offense. Yeah, that's a strong candidate to me. Yeah, Trey is in the perfect offense. I'm not as high on him as you are. Doesn't mean I'm low on him. And I couldn't be higher on his landing spot. Again, we talk about draft grade. My draft grade was lower than your. My landing spot grade for Trey Sermon is like, couldn't be better. There's no other place I think he could maximize his talent more. It really does depend on the quarterbacking situation. Uh, Again, Kyle is going to produce rushing yards no matter what. We saw that last year in the second half of the year with all the injuries. He was running two UDFAs. He was getting all the yards he needed with Jermichael Hasty, and he's just going to generate running yards. It's that same system his dad ran in Denver with plug a back in and I'm going to give him 1200 yards every year. And it didn't matter. They just went through backs. People like, Oh, he was the greatest moved on next one. Same thing. (laughs) It's, it's a sort of re re rinse of that system. So it's the potential is there, but boy, there's a lot of other options to pull away sort of not, not just Trey to pull away shine. uh, And I mean, Trey Lance, to pull away shine from Sermon there. I mean, you got Kittle and you got Ayuk, who were both super, super high. And you got Debo Samuel. Uh, you got Juszczyk, who they love to use creatively. There's a lot of spread in that offense. And if they stay healthier than they did last year, because last year they were absolutely destroyed by injuries. So you would think they would regress to a sort of more normal mean on injuries. And if they do that, if more of their guys stay healthy, the sort of target share for their running back is going to be less and that's going to make it harder. It's hard for running backs to win anyways. So those would be the sort of knocks against him. The pluses are good player for the system, perfect system for him to produce in and just how much is he going to be featured? um, And especially down the stretch as things get tight, usually in the winter, as you approach, you know, the playoffs, People start to want to run the ball, control the game a little bit more. Those could be factors, but uh, it's it's a coin flip for running backs. You know, I, I would never bet against a running back in Kyle Shanahan's system for putting up yards. If Trey stays healthy, Trey Sermon stays healthy, he's got a chance. So speaking of running backs and their troubles in winning rookie of the year, uh, I've got Javante Williams. And Javante Williams, I think, is the 1A option for running back in Denver. I said so on our very first divisional preview podcast like two months ago. Um, We led off with that division, and I was like, nope, Javante Williams is the number one runner on that team. And I took a bunch of heat for that. People came back and said, they have Melvin Gordon. I I know, and I don't care. Like, it's that's not slowing me down from saying that Javante Williams is the, the number one back, and I don't think it'll slow you down either come 
come the season. And through preseason, we've sort of seen that distribution. They've split it a little bit, but I think Javante Williams has looked clearly better. And it, one thing about Javante Williams' Denver is I don't think Vic Fangio is typically the kind of coach that gets lost in throwing it 50 times a game. I don't think they necessarily have the quarterback for it, and he's just not prone to it as a coach, right? He's the kind of guy that's going to walk over to his offensive coordinator and go, 12 passes in a row, huh? Really? You sure? Because <laughs> I'm not, and they're not going to do it anymore. So uh, regardless of whether it's Teddy or Drew Locke, uh, I, I don't think they want to be leaning on the quarterback's arm 45 times a game. I don't think they think that's a winning strategy, and that puts Javante Williams sort of squarely in the sights to get a bunch of carries, and he's shown, uh, certainly at North Carolina and even in his limited preseason action in the pros, that he knows what to do with those carries, and he's going to be productive. He's going to be efficient. So I like Javante Williams as kind of an outsider. Again, running backs is a little bit harder to win. They have to have a very, very good year. And the bottom line is they have to score some touchdowns. They have to have some long highlight runs. And he's capable of all that. Will he get it? He might. We'll see. But he's he's my third for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And the thing that people need to remember, part of the reason why he's going to get a lot of snaps is he can pass protect. And oh, yeah. they've, even, they've even said, you know, all throughout training camp. And uh, I mean, you could even see it just on the tape. Like <laughs> he is knocking dudes out in pass pro. Did you see and, Mike Golick Jr.'s tweet? Oh, my God. He He's murdered like, that dude. He was like, so Javante Williams just fed Buddy his teeth in pass protection. <laughs> and it's <laughs> Williams coming up and, and basically filling. Pretty sure it's a B gap blitz and just whack like no motion and the guy sort of like staggers and tries to go again and williams is like nope not happening nice try pal and what's funny is as good as that rep was it wouldn't even crack the top five in college like he just no he buries guys oh, he buries people and that's why that coaching staff loves him and that's why he's going to be on the field on third downs like as good as he is as a receiver and this is nothing against the other backs that they have in pass protection, but if you have a back that can do that, it opens up the playbook where you can actually reliably call a six-man pass protection where, you know, maybe you're going to have to have your running back take on some 250-pound, you know, stand-up edge and at least survive, you know, give two and a half seconds for Teddy Bridgewater to get the ball out and he can do that. And there's not a lot of running backs in the league that could do that. It's a valuable skill set. You know why Frank Gore played forever? He could pass protect. Yeah, he's a, a, you know one of the most steady Eddie runners in the history of the sport. And he's a great veteran, locker room presence, all that. He could pass protect. That's why he kept yeah. getting jobs. And so Javante Williams is going to be on the field a lot just for that reason alone. Yeah, I agree. I I like the prospect overall. And I'm going to put up an honorable mention sort of dark horse as well. And this has more to do with positional designation than anything else. And that's Kyle Pitts in Atlanta. Now, he's a tight end and for all those listening mm. on the for all Ish. those listening on the audio <laughs> podcast, I just put up my air quotes. Uh, he's not really. And we talked about this pre-draft that if you wanted to put him at X receiver, he would be just as productive. Um, 
But traditionally, voters have a thing with tight ends. They just don't win this award. Now, that being said, Kyle Pitts is a unicorn. <laughs> he is not like uh, other tight ends we've seen come out. Uh, we've seen athletic tight ends. We've seen good pass catching tight ends, route running tight ends. We've seen big, strong, you know, inline tight ends that can block. Like Kyle Pitts is just an alien in terms of his physical skill, his dimensions, his ability to win versus pretty much anything. You put mm -hmm. him on corner, he's going to overwhelm him physically. He can even run right by a lot of them. He's not slow. You put him on a linebacker, he's going to use his length go right up over the top of them. You know, it, there isn't, there aren't a lot of erasers in the league you can put on a guy like Kyle Pitts and say, okay, without help, just make sure he doesn't catch it. Um, I can think of one. Just one? Just one. Derwin. Okay. Yeah, Derwin James that's is the it. guy we're, we're going to talk that's about. the only one. <laughs> in our next episode, yeah. I mean, you, you could say Jalen Ramsey, you know, he played J.C. Horn straight up. And Horn had his wins. Uh, he got beat too. So Pitts is just one of those guys that I think that the tight end designation is going to hold him back more than anything else. But again, he's probably the second receiving option, primary receiving option in, well, let's just say secondary receiving option in Atlanta's attack. And he's got a head coach now that fully understands how to use multiple receivers well in the pattern he's going to get a lot of chances and he could have some monster numbers and if he does he's probably going to be one of those guys that's in the voting that's mentioned in the top three to five guys and picks up some votes he's not likely going to be the guy that wins the award and that's why he's my dark horse not because i don't believe in kyle pitts i do today's episode is sponsored by mac weldon Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and all of the high quality fabrics that make up their daily wear system. The daily wear system is a selection of clothes that are all built to work together in any combination you want, whether it's their breathable t-shirts and polos or their stylish button-ups and shirts to, of course, underwear and beyond. Mack Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, or play with staples like their tailored ace sweatshorts that pair well with their ultra soft Pima tees, or if you're getting ready to start traveling again like I am, you can use their silver knit polo and radius shorts that are the perfect high-tech but also highly packable combo. And by the way, I have the ace half zip and I've had it for well over a year now and I still wear it all the time. Could not recommend it enough. It's extremely comfortable and worth every single penny. So if you want to try anything from the Mack Weldon daily wear system, you can get 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com bootleg promo code bootleg. And again, that will give you 20% off your order. Once more, that is MacWeldon.com bootleg promo code bootleg. Mac Weldon, radically efficient wardrobing. All right, EJ, uh, let's tackle defensive rookie of the year now, which I think is uh, just as exciting a group of players, if not more exciting, maybe just because I'm a I'm a fan of defense in general. Uh, it's kind of a dying, <laughs> dying concept these days. But uh, there's some just truly phenomenal defensive players entering the league this year. Uh, we're going to talk about several of them here. My number one pick um actually overlaps with one of your picks. I don't know what number you had him on your list, but I had him at number one for me. And again, if I had to put folding money on anybody to win it this year, 
as crazy as it sounds, I want Zayvon Collins from the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, looking at him in the preseason, like I understand Micah Parsons has looked great. Um, really, a lot of the linebackers have looked good, but Zayvon Collins just looks different. Like it, it's a it's a different level of fear when I see somebody that's like 250, 255 that moves like he's Deion Jones, that shoots a gap, like just that, that quickly, that violently. It's, it's a, it's a really special thing to see. And I feel like he's not getting enough publicity for how freaky he is. Um, I, I can really only think of like one other dude and we've mentioned it before, but Brian Urlacher, like it's that kind of athlete. And Brian came in the league two decades ago. And it's been that long since I think we've seen something like we've seen other big linebackers. Like Bernard McKinney was a great athlete at 245, 250. Um, Dante Hightower has been a phenomenal player his entire career. We even went up to like 270 for a time, but he didn't move like Zayvon Collins very few human beings that have ever played this sport move like Zayvon Collins. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, it took about 10 snaps into his first preseason game where I realized, okay, he was worth the 16th overall pick cut and dry. We're good. They hit. We're, we're fine here. Oh, I will remind you, but the scheme you said, EJ, I'm worried about, the I want to, I want to clear. I wasn't worried about the scheme. I talked to, like a dozen different linebacker coaches. And I said, look, what they run here is not what anybody runs in the NFL. At least not consistently. You have to read it differently. Is that going to be a problem? Half of them said yes. Half of them said no. And so I said, I have no idea. And you said, what did I say? Fuck it. He's big and strong and fast. They'll figure it out. And you know what? They figured it out. <laughs> That's right. That's where we're at. And yes, I did compare him to Erlacher. I did put up a tweet pre, uh, pre-draft, uh, putting up their uh, spider graph measurables, and they are eerily <laughs> similar. Like height, weight, speed, jumps, uh, like all of them within a tick of each other. It's uncanny and the fact that uh they're ending up playing the same position now Erlacher was a was a rover in college he was a linebacker safety hybrid long before that was a popular concept he came in and many fans forget tried uh initially to play strong side linebacker Sam and didn't didn't do well and then the middle linebacker uh for the Bears Barry Minter got injured and that's it that's history they slid Erlacher over and he was in the middle and the lights came on and that was the end of that like he he never left and he went straight to the hall of fame so Zaven is starting really in that position in the middle and he's in the early going showing everything I saw in college on tape that made me interested agility explosiveness quick reads the ability to slash through the line People say, oh, he doesn't defeat blocks. I'll tell you, lots of linebackers don't defeat blocks, but a lot of times he's by the block before it sets up because he's that quick. And when he gets there, he knows exactly what to do. We saw that in the very first play, uh, the preseason, where he cut through for the TFL. Zayvon Collins is going to be really interesting. And when you put Zayvon Collins next to Isaiah Simmons, like 
that's not just interesting anymore. That's kind of unprecedented athleticism and versatility at the linebacking core. That is like the picture postcard of the new modern linebackers in the NFL. Two of them just standing there going, nope, we can do whatever. Doesn't matter. You want me to run 35 yards downfield and carry the seam like the old Tampa 2? I can do that. Oh, you want me to rush? You want me to get a TFL? You want me to like press the edge? I can do that too. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, it looks like Arizona's defensive coordinator understands that already <laughs> and is employing them that way. And that's a very scary thought for the rest of the division. But Zayvon Collins is uh, really good. I didn't really rank mine sort of one, two, three. I just grabbed three players I thought all had a shot. So yeah, that's one piece of overlap. I'll go to the second piece of overlap for us, which is Joe Tryon Shrinka, uh out of Washington, the edge defender who went to Tampa Bay. He opted out last year. He spent the entire year basically redefining his body, the kind of thing that a rookie would do his first year in the league in a, in a pro uh, conditioning program and food program. Tron did all that last year. He, he definitely hired somebody and focused on shifting his body to uh, a more pro-ready fit or set, and he's hit the ground uh, running doesn't even seem to <laughs> seem to sum that up. Maybe explosively is better. He has, for lack of a better term, just been wrecking shop for the entire preseason. He has been messing up opposing offenses. Um, uh, by all reports, uh, listening to like the Pewter Report guys, um, his own offense in practice, and as soon as they started playing against other jerseys, he carried right on and started wrecking theirs too. This guy is a force, like his quickness, his length, his power. He has every tool, and it's the only thing that's not at an elite level right now is him figuring it out, right? He's still understanding some concepts, but even when he's not properly sort of processing what's in front of him, he's winning with raw athleticism. So he's picking up wins even though he doesn't know everything that he needs to know or he's going to know. That's a really scary concept for a guy that's played like two preseason games in the league. You have no idea how much money I would pay for footage of the practice reps between Tryon Trinka and Tristan Wirfs. <laughs> like, that's must-see TV. Like, you can put that on primetime and NBC, and I would, I would watch. You could put it on pay-per-view. I would pay for that. Like, that is best on best, power on power, freak on freak. I mean, Joe, Joe's something else, man. I had him at uh, edge two just behind uh, Jalen Phillips, who uh, I think just played his first preseason game last week. I, th I think he was out for the first one, and Phillips just came in um, as, like, a third string, I want to say. Because, again, he's come back from a little bit of injury. And also, it's... Flores, he's not just going to give a rookie the starting job just because he's a rookie. Like he's going to earn it. But um, I, I had uh, I had Tryon, or formerly known as just Tryon, uh, as Edge Two, and people thought I was nuts. And I'm like, dude, you you don't understand. Like this dude was already a beast at Washington when he was really not even like the featured guy. Like they had him playing four I in a three man front and just absorbing double teams for the sake of the scheme. Cause that's just what they did. And he didn't even really get a whole lot of opportunities to make plays in the backfield 
until they went into nickel and it was like third down situations. And then he got put on the edge and then he got to rush and then he started making plays. And it's like, imagine if he's doing that full time and he's next to Vita Vea and yeah. Amakun Sue. They're lining yeah. him up next to Shaq Barrett just because they can. Like, are you kidding me? Like when he's actually given opportunities, the length, the power, the speed, the bend, he has every single tool. Like that's why I ranked him so high. It's not for what he was at Washington, for what he's going to be as a pro. And all of a sudden he shows up in preseason and poor Dylan Raddins. I mean, my God, uh, that was not that was not pretty. Uh, oh, Joe, that man has a family. Don't don't do that to him. Uh, but it's the idea that he's that good. And you mentioned he is <laughs> he's joining a loaded team. He's joining the world champions that retained literally everyone. Like they lost nobody. That's unprecedented in the Super Bowl, the modern Super Bowl era. And he doesn't even have to be like the guy. He could be a third down specialist and probably still compete for defensive rookie of the year, but he's not going to be. He's going to be a base player for them. He's going to have a ton of opportunities. And even though, folks, it's just an embarrassment of riches for Tampa Bay because the, who are you going to concentrate on, right? There are enough other defensive threats there that you can't go, oh, well, Joe's a rookie. We'll we'll single him up. Yeah, good luck with that. Let me know how it works out. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. So Joe Tryonshrinka is or Tryonshrinka is uh, boy. He's yeah. I'd say his odds are uh, <laughs> the odds are probably not going to be very favorable for the better on that one. If you got him a couple of months ago, maybe, but uh, the odds have got to be shrinking with with what he showed the preseason. Um, it's well, going to be about You'd be even surprised. Money. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, let me see. Hold on. I just had it. Here we go. He's at plus 2,800. So you throw down. So where's that put him in terms of uh, who do they have at? He's behind Eric Stokes, Caleb Farley, Greg Rousseau, Adafioa, Greg Newsome, Azizo Jalari. Come on. What do they know that we don't? That's some of those guys you named. Uh, unlikely is the best way I'd put it that they're going to win rookie of the year. His odds are worse. Aren't we going to Vegas in week one? <laughs> Can we lay yeah. money on this? <laughs> I, I will. I absolutely. Will. Although, uh, Loki Asante Samuel Jr. plus 4,000. Hello. Yeah, I, I know Not he's bad. one of your favorites, but that seems... Not bad. Uh, anyways, uh, bet at your own risk, but uh, uh, both of us feel pretty strongly that he could have an exceptional rookie campaign. Uh, my third is... <laughs> It's almost kind of like a Justin Fields type thing where it's like, he might not play a whole lot early, but when he gets on the field, watch oh. out. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukormo with the Browns. Keep in mind, he was on the COVID list, came off late, was only like at the facility for less than three weeks, plays in his first preseason game, and in about two quarters, puts up, Seven solo tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack. <laughs> like he's he's outrageously productive because he's so rangy, so instinctive, and he's a hitter. Like when he gets you in space, 
Ooh, man. Like he, he crushes people like he weighs the same as Zayvon Collins, but he doesn't. Uh, he's just a hammer in the open field. And I know he plays light. And I know people look at him and they say, he's a safety. Eh, not really. He can play safety. But he's still so instinctive and so tough and, and so smart and so fast. So just hard to get your hands on as a blocker. Like there's multiple ways to beat a block. He does it by just being too quick for a guard to even touch him in the first place. It's almost, it's almost like a, you know, Devonta Smith. You know, it's like, who cares? He's 170. Nobody's going to touch him anyway. Who cares that he's 220? Nobody's going to touch him. Uh, and, and he's just, he's so good at linebacker, despite not being, uh, you know, built like what you envision in your head is what a linebacker is supposed to look like. I, I just think, man, he's the second coming of Deion Jones, but he's even faster and he hits even harder. He, he's everything, man. I, I've, I've loved JOK since the beginning of the draft process. Um, like when I went through my first crop of linebackers, I went through like the top seven or eight names and he was the one that stuck out to me as like my LB1. Um, again, not by much, but but I did have him there because I felt like he is he is what a modern hybrid type linebacker is supposed to be. And I just think he's a phenomenal football player. Again, this this will depend on when he gets on the field. But if we get to like week four or week five and Mac Wilson's taking snaps or Malcolm Smith is taking snaps from JOK, uh, you're going to hear grumbling from me because there's there's no way that makes sense. Yeah, and again, the landing spot really matters on this one. We both like the player. Uh, we both said prior to the draft, man, what if he ended up in Cleveland, right? <laughs> and if they don't get him, they should get Tony Fields the second. Okay, well, they get both, which is redonkulous. But you put him in Cleveland where you have a wildly talented secondary. And honestly, that might be the deepest unit in the league on either side of the ball. And I realize that's an inflammatory statement and everybody's going to tell me why I'm wrong in the comments. And look, we can argue about that subjective, but they have an argument to be a dog in that fight. It's yeah. Dog, dog pound. I get it. Um, you know, anyways, <laughs> had to do it. I had to, but they are wildly talented in the secondary and their defensive line is real good. They got some guy named, Oh, I don't know. Miles Garrett, you know, their front was really good. Their back half was really good. Their weakness was at linebacker. And now you drop in JOK, this guy that's wildly productive, exceedingly talented and doesn't have to carry anything. Typically guy that talented is going to go really high in the draft. He's going to go to a defense that's lacking, right? Well, he went to a defense that's lacking. Maybe the one spot that he got drafted to play, but everything else on that defense is deep talented strong productive so the it's sort of a force multiplier right it's like hey you can freelance a little bit because we got you like they're not they're not going deep we got everybody back here taken care of go get them like you know go knife through use that speed use that anticipation so JOK is prime for a lot of production whenever he hits the field uh and he won't be leaving once he hits the field as a regular, like nobody's going to look at what he does and go, Oh no, I think this other guy on the bench is better. Like that's, that's not likely. So we're going to see a lot whenever he gets there and we're going to see a ton of production. It's going to be a ton of fun, especially in that defense. Uh, my third is Patrick Sertan. The second, um, the only downside to him having a shot at winning this award is that he's quiet right? He's like a quiet professional. He's quiet at Bama. 
He's quiet in his body language when you watch him. He ne- One of the things I wrote in my notes, he never looks panicked. And again, this guy that played years in the SEC, went up against all the best receivers, and never panics. He's always in phase. He's always in stride. He always turns the right way. He- to be fair, when you're going up against Devonta Smith in practice, nothing else even seems like a threat. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> slow motion, right? It's kind of the... The Fields quote, the Justin Fields quote about, oh, it's the speed of the game is slow. What everybody cut off of that quote is because I go against the Bears ones in defense and that's really fast. So this seems fine. Um, Sertan is so smooth and it took all of a half of one preseason game to basically go, yeah, we got everything we thought we had. Let's shut him down and not get him injured because that guy's our starter. Right. And this is a team that has Kyle Fuller on the other half. Right. This, they saw like Patrick Tan's first half of his first preseason game. They were like, yep, he's as advertised. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Pick six. Neat. Okay. Cool. Yeah. He's good. Shut him down. We don't want to get hurt. So uh, it's just that people are going to kind of forget that he's a rookie. They're going to watch him play and they're going to be like, that's a veteran because he plays that way. And it's not surprising given his parentage, right? His dad was a very good cornerback in the league and he grew up understanding what needed to happen. It doesn't always happen that way. Definitely happened for him. He's a pro. He was a pro at Alabama. He's a pro now. And everybody's just going to go, oh yeah, he's he's been there forever, right? That's how he plays. And he might get overlooked because he's not super flashy. But if he plays like he did in the first half of that first preseason game, he's going to be getting votes. And what's funny is on that pick six, I, I put out a tweet kind of after the all 22 came out and I was like, you know, okay, he, he's off corner, outside leverage, eyes on the quarterback, receiver in the peripheral, trigger on the ball, go get it. I was like, if you put Kyle Fuller's jersey on him, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. No. It's the same pick that Fuller got versus Miami a couple years back where it's literally, I mean, same spot on the field, same footwork, same throw, same everything. And it's like, it's, that's what he is. He's Kyle Fuller, but maybe even better impress, which is scary because Kyle Fuller was like an amazing corner and had an amazing career. Like if you're getting an even better version of that, like, yeah, let's throw the quarterback thing and, and or rather lack of taking quarterback thing out the window for a second, just in a vacuum, the player they got is phenomenal. No doubt. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. I saw that tweet and I was like, yep. And it's a guy that we compared him to pre-draft. We said he plays a lot like Kyle Fuller, right? He looks like Kyle Fuller. His body looks like Kyle Fuller. His frame dimensions, the way he plays. And sure enough, he goes to Denver. Kyle Fuller exits Chicago. We'll just say that uh, as cleanly nice. as we can. And uh, ends up in Denver, yeah. right? Vic Fangio's like, what? You're going to let an all-pro corner go? Yeah, I'll take him. And pairs him with Pastor Tan Jr. And now you've got two Kyle Fullers. Like, there isn't a team in the league that wouldn't kill for two Kyle Fullers a corner, right? They're, they're, he's, he's going to play very, very well. And if defensive backs are going to win it, they're going to win this award, they need turnovers. And turnovers are all about the way the ball bounces. That's it. And if he gets some bounces, 
if he gets quarterbacks that get lazy like that quarterback did the first preseason game, like if he grabs a couple and if he scores on a couple, which he absolutely can, he will be in the running for this award. What's unfortunate is we don't get to see him play against Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen. I mean, I guess technically Travis Kelsey, Mike Williams. We don't get to see him play against either the Chiefs or the Chargers receivers until Thanksgiving, November 28th. That's the, that's the first time he plays either one of those teams. But remember what I said, awards are second half awards. So if he is warmed up by then, and he takes it to those guys, he shuts them down, and better yet, grabs a couple, late in the season, he's going to make a strong push. Well, I will say... Uh... End of, end of October, talk about a, a gauntlet. He's going to get warmed up for those Chargers and Chiefs receivers because he's got to go against Odell and Jarvis and DPJ October 21st. And he's got Terry McLaurin coming to town on Halloween. And then he's got Amari and CD and Gallup the week after that. I mean, I, I understand he had a gauntlet every day in practice. He had a gauntlet in the SEC. He's going to go against the LSU guys. but Not like that. <sighs> That's but a, that's a, that's I, that a goes back task. to Kyle Brandt's <laughs> point about Justin Fields and saying, oh, I don't want to play Justin Fields week one because they have Aaron Donald. It doesn't matter. There's somebody every week. Aaron Donald is, yes, the best defensive player in the league. But every week you're going to see really good players on the other side of the ball. And that goes for Justin Fields. It goes for Patrick Chatan goes for everybody right it, there's no hiding you're not getting any weeks off it's the nfl it's the best football players on the planet and either you're going to see them or they're coming to see you you know there's no like oh we're we're gonna sit patrick this week because the opponents are tough no you want the player that steps up and goes we're gonna make their life hard because we're gonna play patrick Sertan, and he can do that it's all about how the ball bounces I think he's going to have a very similar season to the season that Jalen Johnson had last year for the Bears, where Jalen Johnson was not only one of the best rookie corners about halfway through the season, Jalen Johnson was in the top 10 corners overall in the league. He wasn't playing at all like a rookie. And I would expect very much the same thing from Sertan in Denver. Let me, let me put it this way. The fucking Jets beat the Rams last year. The Jets. Justin will be fine. Yeah. He's not going to turn into a pink mist. Just put him on the field. Yeah. God, don't even, don't get me don't started. Don't even get you started. I won't get <laughs> you started. Um, anything else you want to throw in about our offense or defensive rookies of the year before we put this one in the can and, and move on to uh, other stuff? Just that we, we had so many names that we didn't even get to talk about. I mean, we're over an hour in and we talked about not even... 12 guys? It was I hard. Mean, this this was harder <laughs> than I thought. I thought, oh, that'll be easy. The, the one that'll be hard is the one we're going to do next, the offensive and defensive player of the year, because there's just so many more players. You know, rookies are a smaller percentage of the NFL. And I thought, oh, it'd be easy. I'd, oh, but that guy. Oh, that guy in that system. And, oh, this is, I only get three? <laughs> like, this is hard. And it's it's fun hard, and we're happy to do it. But it was more challenging. I think that I thought when we, I thought this was going to, again, I thought this was going to be the easy week in the NFL. I thought the, I thought the cupcake was coming to town that we we're going to get to play 
you know, Georgia State Ag and Tech. And uh, it turned out, <laughs> turned out it was an actual opponent. So no cupcakes on this show. Uh, but no, tons of talented players, great class, uh, plenty of people, like you said, that we didn't even mention their names. So, uh, lots for NFL fans to look forward to for years to come, because there's these and so many others, because we always know that, I mean, most of these guys were drafted, uh, in the upper rounds, but there's always players that emerge from the third, the fourth, the fifth round and play, play really well in their system. So lots of talent coming in even though this is one of the smallest draft classes ever uh in terms of overall number of people that were eligible for the draft class so just just a really fun time to be an nfl fan right now tons of good players coming into the league and remember we got uh, a couple more i guess you could call it uh prediction-y preview-y type shows coming at you pretty soon we have one on offense player of the year defense player of the year and mvp that's gonna be the next one and then after that, we're going over our division winners, our conference winners, and our Super Bowl pick, uh, which I'm sure the comment section is going to be just a joy for that one. Can't that's wait. But me sitting at the table for. with my little dog hat on, <laughs> saying "This is fine," and all the flames. Yeah, we have we have a we have a very passionate audience. Passionate. Could couldn't be happy for that passionate audience. Uh, but yeah, there there will be. Uh, I don't think any dissension with either of our picks. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, so with that being said, thank you everybody. I know you're probably upset. This is not a three and a half hour episode, but it's okay. We're 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 getting in the swing of things for the season. We're going back down to a paltry normal hour plus for every single show, but. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back in uh, a couple days, I think, with the next one. And then uh, before you know it, we got real, actual, regular season games to talk about. So we'll see you guys back here pretty soon. Till then, later. Take care. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.